Let's turn together to Genesis 24. Genesis 24, we'll read the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 28, rather than 27. God's holy word. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, And from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him, concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. He arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water and to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. 
The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Amen. Well, as we come to this chapter now, Sarah has died. Abraham is still alive, but he is beginning to uh, fade to the background now of the storyline of Genesis. The focus of the book is turning now to Isaac. Abraham has walked with God for many years. He's been trusting in God's promises. But now he has Isaac, and we're eager to see what happens next with this promised child. And we see the story beginning to unfold here in our passage. One of the things we see here in this chapter is just a very beautiful uh, and clear display of God's providence. This is a story about uh, a match made in heaven. These two coming together uh, as husband and wife. Abraham has uh, a role to play in this. His servant, uh, as you can see, he's got his own role to play in this. But uh, the real matchmaker here is God. And that shouldn't be a surprise, really, to us at all, because he is faithful to keep his promise. And that's what we see in this passage. He's committed to bring his promises to fulfillment. The first thing we see here in this passage is this, uh, this charge from Abraham to his servant. Abraham's old at this point. He's about 140 He's not going to live much longer. Uh, he probably knows that. And uh, so he's feeling the need to uh, find a wife for his son. So he says to his servant, this, uh, this strange charge, he says, put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord that you will not take a wife for my son from the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you go to my country and to my people, my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. First part of that, uh, it sounds very strange. Uh, put your hand under my thigh. What's going on here, though, is really uh, just Abraham uh, still trusting in God's promise for the future. He's trusting in God for God's blessings that lie ahead for him and his people who will come through his son Isaac. We also need to look to God with faith to the future. We look back to his past faithfulness, but we look forward to his continuing faithfulness for the future as well. You know, that's how it is uh, with the history of salvation as well. We look back 
and we look forward. We look back to what God has done in history for his people. And from our perspective, where we are in history, of course, we look back to the central things, the things that were looked forward to and anticipated all through the Old Testament and have now been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. We look back to that, to his death, to his resurrection. Those are uh, glorious evidences of God's past faithfulness to his people. As we look back to those things, we should be greatly encouraged for the future. We look back and we see what God has done. He has kept his promises in those wonderful ways. Uh, everything before Christ was leading to Christ. And his coming was a manifestation of God's wonderful faithfulness to his promises. But we also need to trust in God with a, a future-oriented faith. Looking back, again, to his past faithfulness helps us to trust him for the present and for the future. It strengthens our faith for right now and for the days ahead. We look forward to God's promise of the future, the wonderful things that he has still promised that have not yet been uh, fulfilled. From, again, from our perspective, we're thinking about things like the second coming of Christ. We're thinking about our bodily resurrection from the dead. We're thinking about having uh, immortal bodies uh, living eternally in the new heavens and the new earth. So we look back and we look forward. We look back to God's past faithfulness, but we have to always be looking ahead as well to the things that God is absolutely certain to do for us in the future, the things he's promised for our fullness of salvation. We need to keep trusting him for what lies ahead. Abraham was doing that. He was thinking back on God's past faithfulness, looking forward to how God was going to do those wonderful things he promised in the future. And this is all part of that, this oath that he makes his servant take to go find uh, a wife for Isaac. He knows he is not to uh, take a wife from among the Canaanites, and so uh, he has his servant go in this other direction. And that hand on the thigh thing seems strange, doesn't it? Under the thigh. That seems very uh, odd, but really that's just a lot like how we in our day uh, will put our hands on a Bible, uh, or put your right hand on your Bible, a Bible to swear to tell the truth, in court. It's an oath. It's a very serious commitment, and that's what this man was doing. Abraham was giving this man this solemn oath that he was taking. Now, why was he so concerned to not go the easier route, which would have been, you know, find a nice Canaanite girl right nearby? Well, probably because he knows what's coming for the Canaanites in the future. God said already in the past, through Noah, that Canaan and his offspring would be cursed. And these are those offspring of Canaan. God intended to destroy them, and he would. And so Abraham doesn't want to intermingle uh, with the Canaanites. He doesn't want to intermingle the covenant line with the cursed line. God may have even told Abraham uh, explicitly well, we don't have it here in Scripture, but he may have told him not to let this happen. He surely did that later on in Israel's history, telling his people not to intermarry with the Canaanites. But Abraham's servant here raised a question. He's concerned, wow, if I do this, if I go all the way back there, what if this girl's unwilling to come with me back here to this country? Shouldn't I take Isaac along? 
He's a good servant. He wants to do what his master wants. He wants to carry out his charge, but he can see this problem happening. He's, he's imagining what could happen. Uh, it seemed very um, unlikely that this total stranger shows up at uh, Abraham's family's door and uh, meets this young woman, and she's going to just be willing to go across the world and marry this young man she's never seen before, never met before. So he thinks, shouldn't I take Isaac with me? Abraham says, absolutely not. You will not take my son back there. Uh, for one thing, he might have been tempted to stay there, and he didn't belong there. He's the promised child. He belongs in the promised land. One writer says, Isaac's presence in the land of Canaan was a living declaration that that land would one day belong to his descendants. Even though it didn't belong to him yet, his presence there is a testimony to that reality. In any case, Abraham's not about to let him leave the land, even for an important mission like this. I think Abraham fully believed that it wasn't necessary. He believed God's just going to provide. This is going to be fine. You don't need to take my son there. Abraham told his servant, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. And here it is. He says, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. He's saying, this is going to be fine. The Lord's going to provide. He's going to make your journey a success. He's encouraging his servant. Don't let your imagination get the best of you. You don't have to worry about this or that, what the girl's going to think. The Lord's going to provide. And so Abraham is clearly trusting the Lord in saying these things. He's convinced the Lord is going to show his faithfulness. He's going to provide. So much so that Abraham's not willing to make any compromises. No, we're not going to have anything to do with any Canaanite woman. And no, you're not going to take Isaac along. You don't need to do that. The Lord is going to provide. And that kind of uh, trust in the Lord has become a theme in Abraham's life. In his older years, his faith is firmer than ever. Firm trust in the Lord. That should be a big theme in our lives as well. Hopefully, the older we get, the firmer our faith becomes in the Lord. The Lord will provide. We should be trusting him to provide uh, for all our earthly needs as well as certainly all our spiritual needs in the future. One scholar, Old Testament scholar, uh, Vanderwall, writes of the temptation that Abraham must have faced in thinking about a wife for his son. He writes, Abraham must have been tempted at least at some point, to establish a relationship with one of the local families of the Canaanites by marrying his son to one of their daughters. By virtue of such a marriage, Abraham and Isaac would no longer be seen as foreigners in Canaan. They'd be right at home. They'd be accepted. And such a marriage, however, would have involved Canaanizing the seed of the promise. He was not to do that. But this would have been an easier way to go. An easy way to find a wife right there where they were. And this was a way that wouldn't require faith on Abraham's part. 
Abraham has learned to trust the Lord. He's learned to trust and to obey. And he's learned, most importantly, that the Lord is trustworthy. The Lord is worthy of our faith. May the Lord give us all that kind of trust in him, the faith that we need to wait upon him and his providence in our lives. So in verses 10 to 27, then we, or 28, we see the journey of this servant. He sets off, and here we see his faith in action. He's not just a, a servant of Abraham. He seems to share the faith of Abraham. He made this journey, which was upwards of around 1,000 miles. Probably would have taken a couple months, maybe three. He finally makes it. He gets there to the city of Nahor, and... When he got there, he finds this well, and he had the camels kneel down by the well at the time of day when the young women went out to draw water, and these camels needed water, but the servant had something else in mind, and we see that in his prayer. He prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. Show kindness to my master, and he asked this very specific prayer request. Lord, may it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one. Now, this man knows there's probably going to be all kinds of young women coming to draw water, and he's uh, kind of imagining there's going to be a bunch of them, and uh, out of all of that, there's probably not going to be any who are going to be willing to do these kinds of things that he's asking in this prayer request. He's uh, giving a pretty tall order here. But in essence, he's just asking the Lord, Lord, show me the right woman. Provide her for Isaac. Again, he's trusting in the Lord as well now. And she comes. And uh, he's asked not just uh, for uh, the right woman, but a woman of incredible character. She's going to be a woman who would be kind, a woman who would be very hospitable, a woman who would be very generous, a woman who would be very hardworking. And we see that all in the things that the servant prayed to the Lord, these things that he's asked the Lord to provide a young woman who would, who would do all these things. Not too many would. It was a huge task to water 10 camels. That's what he's asking for. You read that, and you might not think much of that, but 10 camels would drink a lot of water. And a well was usually uh, a large, deep hole in the ground, uh, and you had to go down into that hole. You had to walk down uh, by steps into that deep hole, and then after filling... Uh, one large jar, you'd have to walk right back up out of that hole and do your watering with it. Uh, the jars would hold about three gallons, and uh, up and down and up and down, the person had to go to get that water. Now, a three-gallon jar, one camel could drink 25 gallons. So then you've got 10 camels. That's 250 gallons of water up and down, up and down, with a very heavy vessel uh, filled with water. 
That was a task. That was a tall order that this man was asking for from one young woman. Probably that would have been a couple hours worth of work, at least, and a lot of sweat, a very worn out young woman by the end of it all. So it's a fair question, who in the world would do that? Who would volunteer to do that? What are the chances that any young woman would just volunteer for that kind of work, for a total stranger? God was going to have to be in this. Verse 15 tells us that before he had even finished speaking, in other words, praying, praying to the Lord, asking this prayer request, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar, and the servant hurried to meet her. It seems she's the first one to come along, and he asked her for some water to drink. And we see how his prayer was answered. She said, drink, my Lord. She quickly let down her jar and gave him water to drink, and as soon as he was finished drinking, she said, I'll draw water for your camels as well, until they've finished drinking. There it is. She volunteered to do all that. I wonder if she had some helpers. We're not told that she did. Seems like she must have just done it all and worked herself to the point of exhaustion practically, watering all those camels. Maybe they weren't all the way on empty, but <laughs> that's a lot. The servant must have been amazed. God had shown himself faithful. Rebecca did everything that this man prayed for. This was clearly divine providence. And notice when she shows up on the scene, she arrives while the servant is still praying. He hasn't even finished getting the prayer out of his mouth, and there she is already. She must have left her house before he even started to pray. God had sent her. God was orchestrating this all just so beautifully. He guided the servant to just the right spot at just the right time. He guided him in what to pray for. And then he answered that prayer with those very beautiful, specific providences through this uh, beautiful person, this person of such beautiful character, who did all these things uh, just cheerfully. You see it there in a response. She seemed so happy to do it. The servant must have been in awe of God. And he seems to have been. And when she finished her work, he went to her and he lavished these gifts on her. He gave her some very nice, very expensive uh, gold jewelry. And that must have made quite an impression on her. If she wasn't impressed already uh, seeing these ten camels, which were a sign of great wealth, she's impressed now with uh, all this heavyweight gold that is draped upon her. And he asked her, who, who are you? Whose daughter are you? Tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. This is Abraham's brother's granddaughter. This is exactly the young woman that he was sent to find from Abraham's family. And when the servant heard this, that was, that was all he could do. It's all he could take. He just falls down, and he begins worshiping the Lord. He's so thankful. He's in awe of the Lord. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness 
my master. And he says, as for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. Abraham told him it was all going to go well. The angel would go before him. And now he's seen it with his own eyes. An unbeliever would have chalked these things up to just coincidence. Or, oh, how lucky. But this man knows better. He knows the Lord. And he praises the Lord for his faithfulness. Imagine how this all must have affected this young woman, Rebecca. She's probably exhausted, but she's loaded down with gold. And she's trying to take this all in. And this man just drops to the ground, praying and praising God for her. And as, she pray, as he prayed, she heard the name that he uttered, the name of Abraham. Her family must have told her about Abraham, this long-lost relative who'd gone off to some strange land so long ago. She must have been astonished hearing this, what was happening. This is an amazing story of God's providence. His providence is so wise and wonderful. Both of these people were experiencing it in this story. Abraham's faith in the Lord was totally warranted. We see that here, totally justified. It all comes back to God's faithfulness, God's great faithfulness. He is 100% faithful to his word. And so we, like Abraham, are totally right to trust in him with all our hearts. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in all that he has said in his word. You will not be disappointed. Trust in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story. It strengthens our faith to see how you were so amazingly faithful to your people, your people who were of weak faith. You showed yourself to be utterly trustworthy and reliable. We thank you for your providence. We thank you for, above all, your most wonderful provision of all that you made for us, and that is your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This story uh, is just a small part of that greater story of our redemption in Christ. So help us, Lord, to uh, do like Abraham did. Help us to follow his uh, example by trusting in you, completely trusting in your word. And for us, uh, that certainly means trusting in your son, your word who became flesh, the Lord Jesus. We trust in him, and we will certainly not be disappointed. We ask all these things in his name.